following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. Um, so this week's parasha is Parsha Ve'etchanan, and uh, it has the famous verse um, of Ve'unishmartem, make sure I'm pronouncing it correctly, it's on top of the page there. Yisham al-Chal Shema Okay, so the first line, it's actually, there's two different verses in the parasha. It says, beware, beware. Thank you so much. Wow. That's amazing. Make sure it says my name. Thank you. Um, beware and heed your, and watch yourself. Which is really not the correct translation. In the literal sense, this verse is, says, shmar nafshecha, which really means, Heed or watch your soul. Okay, but for um, can't explain why. As we're going to see, the Talmud broadens this verse. I mean, in the simple translation, the verse is really just talking about keeping mitzvot, as you see from the context of the verse. It says, "Watch your soul." Um, that you should not forget the things that you've seen. The prior verse before this is talking about receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai. So they all experienced that as a nation. And your heart shall not stray. And let your children, your children and your children's children know about this Torah thing. Okay, so that's an important, uh, very important verse. It's really about Torah mitzvahs. Nothing to do with your health. But for whatever reason, as we're going to see soon, the Talmud brings this as a source for one to guard their health. Take care of yourself. Exercise, eat well, um, take your blood pressure medicine, don't fight with your wife too much. Right? These are all uh, biblical obligations in the Torah. Um, so meaning you anything that... You better fight with your wife just sufficiently. Just right, as meaning, much as you right, so don't, don't do things which can affect your blood pressure adversely. Okay? And fight with your wife too much. Um, so the, the point being is, as we'll see, so really as you see, the context really doesn't say that. And as we'll see the Gemara quoted below. Um, the Gemara, it's actually not even, what's fascinating as we're going to see, it's not even the, the interpretation that applies it to your health actually was from a Roman general. He's the one who interpreted it this way. For whatever reason, the, the authorities, the postkim, quoted Quote this Gemara's halacha, this story, as we're going to see, and uh, and understand, accept his interpretation. So, interestingly enough, so let's let's read the Gemara, and then we'll see um, the relevance soon. So it says like this: so 32 on the bottom there, where it says the Gemara. We're going to start from the second paragraph on the left column, I believe. Yes, second paragraph, um, where it says the Gemara cites a related episode. So. So again, the, the context here, just to put the Gemara in context, the Talmud here is talking about, it's in tractate Brachot, the first tractate in the Talmud, which really, again, totally out of context, it's talking about what interruptions one may have during the Amidah, during the Shemona um, right, Let's say your phone is going off, your email, your text is coming in. What are you allowed to do um, during Shemona As we know, Shemona is the climax of the tefillah, of a person's prayer. There, most of, most of everything else is not even considered prayer. 
other stuff we do prior to that sort of introduction to the Shemona Etzvah, including the Shema, which is just, uh, it's really just a biblical obligation, not even a prayer. The prayer, when we say in Halakha, when we refer to prayer, that's the Amidah. So during the Amidah, it says you're standing in front of Hashem, so you can't interrupt, you're not supposed to interrupt for anything. Okay, the question is what happens if your life is in danger, what happens, there's all kinds of questions, um, what, uh, when, when and how you're allowed to interrupt. What happens if there's a snake wrapped around your feet? Yeah. You know, <coughs> the, 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 sorry, it might be a little bit of a tangent, but we stand, we yes. stand yes. during Shul. During Amidah, not during Shul. Yes, but we stand at other times too. Why? When you take out the Torah, that's you stand okay, for the second the Torah, right? The only other standing is Aleinu and uh, yeah, certain key prayers. We do stand. Why? Baruch Hu, yeah, Baruch Hu, you can you got to stand in order to bend that. Baruch Hu, is that a prayer? Um, it's mm -hmm. praise. That's what I'm saying. There's a difference. Prayer usually, when we say prayer, it's referring mm -hmm. to ask, to a request. Well, it's that's praise, what Amidah is request, as opposed to uh, as opposed to praise. Is not really a prayer. Praise is you're, you're praising it. Amidah is praise. In the yes. So each blessing in Amidah has. There's a man out by the gate. Should I open it for them? No. No. Okay. So. You can bring up if you want. So, so that standing is not doesn't mean it's prayer. Right, standing is just well. uh, either it's for honor. There's a good question. The only the only thing I don't remember offhand why we stand is from in the middle of Sukkot is Imran, which is the first part, the first section of prayer before the Baruch You're supposed to get up at a certain point. Uh, Hashem Amen Amen. Right, the bracha is right. So, uh, exactly okay, so what what the requirement? Right. So this yes. you, you stand prayer for is praise that. It's limited prayer. Yeah. You stand for praise and prayer. No, I didn't say you stand for praise. Most praise you don't stand for. So I don't know. The, it's a good okay. question. You stumped me. I don't know. Stumped me. Stumped Beyond the scope yeah, of this class. We discuss about. medicine here. Mm. Not other, other okay. topics. It's not my mm. profession. I've heard also, I know that uh, the Amidah is prayer. Yes. Nothing else is really prayer. Right. And, so again, uh, prayer means request. When you're asking God for something, which way you're doing in Amidah, that's that's prayer. That's what we consider prayer. But the Amidah is dividing to yes. praise, prayer. Yes, yes. in order to ask, well listen, you have well to have this protocol. Morning, that's it's a protocol. Well you can't, uh, you know, come to your guy. You just ask a friend, ask him for a thousand bucks. You gotta, yes. first you butter him up. Yeah, I'm saying you gotta praise a little, you know, slap him on the back. And uh, each person has different. Okay, so so now, so this, so again, the story, so again, the context here is interruptions during the Amidah, and the, and the Gemara brings a nice story. So this is the story, it says, Tanur Rabbanan, um, the rabbis taught in a b'risa, we're in the, again, the left column on the page, halfway down the page, English, English, or Spanish, whatever you'd like. Ma'isa well, b'chassid what? All of the above. there was a story with a certain pious person, doesn't mention his name, Shayu mitpalel baderach. He was uh, traveling along the way, and he was on the side of the road, okay, and he needed to pray. time to pray, so he pulled over, and he was praying. And if you go, actually, this time of the year, speaking of upstate New York, there's a, the, on the throughway between New York City and the Catskills, they have, there's a big green sign, they have a, it's a, it's called a mincha stop. It says on the exit, mincha stop, and any time, more or less, towards evening, this, this time of the year, everyone's leaving the city. Specifically on Thursday, you have constant minyanim taking place, right? It's, it's not on the side. What happened was because it was people were pulling over on the side of the highway. 
So this it was dangerous. Daven people before sunset, people pulling over the daven. So the state to make it safe made a separate so, so pull off you where you can travel a airlines of ten <laughs> No, no, no. I'm saying there's so many people exiting the city on Thursday afternoon to go mm-hmm. to the to, for the weekend for Shabbos to the Catskills. Yeah. So you've, you know, it's like a mass exodus of all these Jews. So they have a mincha stop. It says on you know on the city, a separate like it's not a. Yes, I'm saying they have constantly. That's what I'm saying. Yes, constant. There's heavy people there serving free coffee and drinks, even you know for free at the stop. There's people who have a stand. They give you a cake, coffee. You get potato kugel. You can have potato kugel. In New York City, in the Casco, there's no problem finding a minion. In New York. Anyway, so this guy didn't have the mincha stop. He pulled over. He pulled over on the side of the road. There was no mincha stop. So when was the last time anybody at this table had potato kugel? Yeah, I've had it. Seriously, huh? Serious? I'm serious. I make it all the time. You do? Oh, oh, oh! Am I going in the club? Okay, so, so the, so this guy again. He pulled over on the side of the road to pray. Um, Basar and and a some general. Roman general pulled over also, saw this guy inside the road. And he said, he greeted him. Okay? This guy being in the middle of Ishmael's he didn't respond to the Roman general. Not a smart thing. Himpton Lo, actually, so the general waited for him to complete his prayer. When the guy finished praying, the general said to him, Reka, you idiot. It says in your Torah, it says, you don't know your own Torah. It says, It says in your Torah, this week's parasha, as we mentioned, You shall he- take heed of your, of your soul. Which is the correct translation. And there's another Pasuk in the same parasha, it says, right? um, You shall greatly beware of your nefesh. Which, again, he was interpreting that to mean, take care of your health. So you know your Torah commands you to protect your life. So and and here I am as a Roman general, and you're messing with me. When I greeted you, lama lo If this room ever gets too hot because the AC doesn't work properly, the board room's also available to use as well. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. So, im ayiti chotech roshcha b'saif. I would chop your head off with a sword. Miyayetovei damcha miyadi. Would anyone um, would anyone demand your blood from me? Meaning, I have every right to kill you. you didn't greet the general. I have a right to kill you. So, uh, Jew never uh, always answers back. You know, with a smart, the quirk. So he says, Amalo. He says to him. So the guy who prayed, this pious person, it's interesting, the Gemara is still calling him pious. So, meaning, is, was he correct or not? But we'll see. Gemara answers, If you're patient with me, I'll give, you, I'll give you an answer. Don't kill me yet, just yet. So, the, so he says to him, what does he respond? If you were standing in front of a human king, a blood and, uh, blood and flesh king, meaning he's talking to the general, and your friend comes, and your friend comes and greets you, Ayiti in the next paragraph, Masalo, would you return the greeting to him? Right, if you're standing in front of a king, he's saying, of course, I'm a little loud. Of course not, I wouldn't return the greeting. 
And if you'd return the greeting to your friend when you're standing in front of the king, what would he do to you? They would cut your head off with a sword. Right, the king's uh, soldiers would cut your head off. So the man said to him, So it's a perfori. Surely doesn't stand to reason. You, a man of flesh and blood, who's standing in front of a king of flesh and blood. Um, the king, today is alive, tomorrow he's going to die. Just like anyone else. Even the king eventually is human and dies. Um, right? Still, that's how you would behave, meaning you would not return your friend's greeting. And I am standing in front of the king of all kings, right, God, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who lives eternally, forevermore, how much more so should I not return a, another person's greeting? It says the general was appeased, let him go in peace to his house. He didn't kill him. Okay? So that's the end of the story, the whole story. Oh. So, very nice story, beautiful. Now, first of all, who was correct? Was he correct in his interpretation of the Pasuk? Because that's, again, as we said, if you look at the verse itself, the verse really is not, is not even talking about that. Um, but, as we said, for whatever reason, the, the it's accepted, this verse is accepted as the primary source in the Torah for one um, making sure that they stay healthy and not and taking care of your body. Okay, now how it's questionable why why we accepted this interpretation. So Again, because the Roman general misquotes the Torah. Right, saying it's an interesting thing, it's a very fascinating thing. The commentaries talk about it, but they don't have any good answer. But the Rambam quotes this verse as an obligation to keep your health. Okay, so we, listen, Roman general, maybe they can get it right sometimes too. So, uh, but, the, but the other question is, what, but who is correct? Even if the Roman general, as far as the halach is concerned, meaning... Should you interrupt your Shmon Esra, your Amidah, when someone um, of stature or someone who maybe can kill you um, greets you? That's, that's, that question is not clear. Who's correct? Um, was the guy correct? Was the general correct? So the, the rule of thumb is, and as we see, I just there's a little piece from the next um, Gemara, which talks about even if a snake, Gemara quotes another quote, which even if a snake wraps around your feet during the Amidah, you have no right to interrupt the Amidah. So that, very clearly, the... Uh, all the commentaries explain, and the Gemara really explains that it's talking with the Gemara. Asks the question: How? Pikuach nefesh. Of course, your life is in danger. So the Gemara says, of course, it's talking about a snake that's not poisonous, or a snake that you're not concerned will bite you. Then you have no right to interrupt your shmonas. Of course, if you know if the snake might bite you, and it's poisonous, then you of course you have every right to interrupt. So the seemingly the same would apply to above. Any time there's a danger to your life, of course the halacha is that. Um, Yes, your life's more important than Amidah. Amidah is important, but life's more important. By the way, in general, it's just interesting to note, there's even people, very little known halacha, and the Gemara talks about prior to this, which is that you're not allowed to really even greet someone before you pray. Um, the Gemara says you can't say, you're not supposed to say Shalom Aleichem to someone, or when you come to Shul and you see someone, and the person, you can say good morning. So that's not, you're not allowed to ask how they're doing before you pray in the morning. It's an interesting halacha. Because it says, the first thing is, you speak to God. First you got to greet God. You wake up in the morning. After you greet God, then you can greet your friends. So similar to this context. Well, you, you but good morning is not a, a proper greeting. I mean, good morning, you're just saying, good morning, you're not, you're not, how are you? Meaning the point is, before asking how your friend is doing, 
you need to speak to God. That's not interesting. You wake up in the morning and speak to God. What do you mean yeah, but you, you didn't pray proper prayer yet. Jesus meaning Amidah. Yeah. yeah, meaning after Shachris, that's when you can so greet your friends. It says if the person will be insulted, someone you haven't seen in a long time, and they come and greet you, can I get and they'll be insulted, then you're allowed you know. Your wife is... That's the Koch Nefesh. That's saving the life. The rules are given, but you should live by them. So here, by, li- by praying, he is endangering his life when the general comes up to him. More no, you're right. So that's what we're saying. So that's why, but meaning what see. we're saying is the Roman general was correct. One is in his interpretation of the verse, which again is totally taken out of context. And secondly, in his understanding of the halacha, meaning once his interpretation is correct, you have to worry about your health. So then you have to interrupt your amidah to greet the Roman general, because he might kill you. I wonder why my mind is then cite uh, rather than this particular verse. No, because the here, right? that's a good meaning, my mind is not quoting in this context. My mind is saying there's a general obligation. So Shelly has a good question. Manny, Manny, Manny. It's a very important point there. Shelly's bringing up a, a very important point, which is that um, there's, there's another verse in the Torah, the Chaibam, which obligates us in the context of mitzvah, correct. The Roman general clearly didn't, that's also taken out of context. So he didn't understand that. Maimonides quotes this verse, and this verse is quoted by the other uh, poskim, uh, other halachic authorities, just as a, as a source to watch your health. There are other sources to save a life, that's different. Right, I'm saying so in general, keeping you know, a diet, for example, this is where Maimonides quotes, have an obligation to keep a healthy diet, not eat things, not eat uh, too much barbecue, because as we mentioned last week, actually, because of this, this is his source. So, so the Vachaybam doesn't tell, tell doesn't well, apply that. Well, the here is, it, is this, in this context, yes, Vachaybam would be a better source. Life was in danger. Yeah, so in this, oh. in this context, you're right. So the Roman general didn't get that part. He's not up in his <laughs> Okay, so, so this, so again, this is, in a certain sense, it's fascinating that this is the whole source, and it's somewhat controversial in the sense of really totally taken out of context, and, and the interpretation was only is only quoted in the name of this Roman general. Um, so, interesting, interesting source. So we, we There's no other source for guarding your health or watching yourself. There's a source again for saving a life. As no, but I mean for really guarding your health or watching yourself. No, well. these two same verses. This is the primary source that I'm aware. Of. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and usually, in the Talmud, because that we're studying brachos elsewhere. And, and we're calling Shema and everything. You know, there's a zillion other things. Till you get big, till you get things. So these there had to be a few others after this too. Yeah, but it doesn't mention this source again. It doesn't go back to this right, source. Yeah, this is it. Oh. And uh, it's an interesting point. And and uh, so you bring out it's also just a story. It's not even normally in Talmud you have a halacha. You might have a story here. It's just uh, it's just bringing a nice story. It doesn't say it as a law. It doesn't mean right. No, but I'm saying it's just a nice story that occurred. That doesn't mean it's cut, it should be codified into law just because the story happened. But I the ones afterwards, may have, the final thing that came after all of this might have made the. the yeah, final but it doesn't mention this again. It yeah, doesn't doesn't, as far as I know. Okay, so this is a bit of a problem because normative Jewish medical ethics says the patient is responsible for taking care of his health just as much as the doctor is, you know, which is different from contemporary secular ethics, which is patient can do whatever they want with their body here it's like, no you can't you really have to take care of yourself and that's an obligation on the patient yes. but what you're saying is that entire concept 
which is essential to Jewish medical ethics, is resting on a very flimsy reed. Yes, true, but but there is again when it comes to you saving your life. No, it's just taking care yeah, of yourself. As far as just taking care of yourself, dieting, diet, etc. Yeah. Yes, this is one of the and, and, and key so source. You get the sense that maybe the reason they were leaning on this flimsy read is the rabbis wanted you to protect your health and be obligated to do so, and they couldn't find another source for it. But again, most authorities say it's a biblical obligation based on this. They, they, they right, they want to really, they really want No, I'm saying it's not the rabbis. The rabbis but mean, isn't yeah. the, the underlying premise is that if you're observing all my commandments faithfully, you are doing everything to basically preserve take your health. Preserve your yes, health. that is true. And, but I'm saying, but that's, again, we're totally misconstruing I mean, this verse. This verse is, is really a commandment to watch your spiritual health. That's all the commandments say. Yeah. The Roman general interpreted it to watch your physical health. I mean, it's, it says very clearly, nafshacha. Your soul. Now, the truth is, and honestly speaking, many times we do the term nefesh in the Torah. Your soul is referring to your body too, in other contexts. But still, it's very clear from the context of the statement that it's referring to your spiritual health, not in a literal sense. So it's interesting. Well, it'll be interesting to look at, say, like Jacobovitz when he writes his thesis, his PhD thesis on Jewish medical ethics. What source he used for you have to. A patient is responsible. This is it. I'm saying there's no other. This is it. Primary source. Yeah. That I'm aware. Wow. I mean, that's uh, well. That's intriguing because clearly the rabbis wanted it to be that way, and they had a site yes. come up with a biblical source for it. That's intriguing. Okay, so now I'm gonna move. This was you mean just. They couldn't come up with a biblical source. They could no, come up with a better a, one. This, this is, is the best the, they could do. Yeah. This is not biblical. No, but they are according to it the is Rambam. Well, yeah, the initial thing is most biblical. Oh, yeah, yeah, the story. Yeah, the, the, the yeah. And it's really, it seems like a, a bit of a stretch because this is really not about taking care of your health. It's about guarding your life, which is spiritual. pretty much your health. No, no, yeah, it's spiritual. Not, not even bought, it's not even about your physical health. It's, it's about. Yeah, so well, let's go. Let's move on because I want to get this. That was just an introduction. <laughs> I see. So, so now, the topic I wanted to address today. Uh, cancer or being so speaking of cancer, <laughs> so um, we're going to talk about. So this is a fascinating question. It's sort of, I guess, built on the past two weeks. Which last week we discussed the question of. Can one risk their life just to alleviate pain? Okay, which was the morphine question, etc. Um, taking morphine end of life. So there's a certain risk to life, but it, and it's not to save your life, but to, but only to alleviate, to basically f to help quality of life to a certain extent. That's what we discussed the past two weeks. Um, so here th he has another interesting question, sort of the opposite sense. Here the question is. Um, this person, I'll read, I'll read you, you don't have a copy, I'll read you the question that was posed by the doctor to the rabbi. So um, the case is like this. Um, okay, this is written in 1978, Shabbat of 1978, to the honorable rabbi, Madino Shalchola, what's the halacha of a patient? Hasovel Migidol Mimaer, which is Hebrew for a, a cancerous growth. Okay, Rahman al-Islam, heaven forbid. Okay, so this patient has a cancerous growth. I'm assuming it's somewhere, as you'll see, behind his eye, in his face. And the expert doctors, they have to operate him. To remove his eye and his jaw in order to, to, uh, to remove the, the uh, growth, the tumor. 
Okay, where, so where would I and jaw? That's a hell of an operation. Oh, yes, part of a jaw. Okay, lidatam. According to their opinion, according to the um, the physician's opinion, It's not especially dangerous. The operation um, doesn't not specifically where it's going to endanger his life. Okay, meaning meaning obviously it's a serious operation, but I'm saying it's not. There's nothing that will. I guess it's, it was far far enough from the brain that it wouldn't endanger his life in any which way. And most, meaning um, in most cases, in the majority of cases, this operation is successful to remove the tumor. And he'll live a healthy, long life. Okay? So now, chutz, what's, so continues on with the question. Chutz, He's just staging the question. Without this surgery, there's no other way to heal him. There's nothing else we can do. Chemo, whatever it is, will not stop the tumor. Um, the, the patient does not want the surgery under any circumstances. Very strongly against the surgery. First of all, he has an anxiety. That he's going to die. During the surgery, because he, of his weakness. I don't know what that means exactly. He'd rather die than live without an eye and, a, and his face with his whole face deformed to a certain extent. Uh, even if we can assuming with reconstructive surgery, it's not going to be the same. So he says he'd rather die. So the question becomes should the physicians try to do this even against his will, which is not getting, it's, uh, you know, in a certain sense, as we know, discussed many times, autonomy and halacha, if you're required to do something, as we're going to talk about, then you got to do it even against the person's will. Obviously, it doesn't mean you tie him down with chains, but it means you try very hard to convince him, etc., and, and push strongly. Is it permitted for them to do this? Or maybe even obligatory, maybe since he has a valid concern that he doesn't want to live life like this does the patient have a right to say I don't want the surgery and I'd rather die okay so so um, yeah this is the question posed actually has another similar type question I saw a later response which is um, a question of a person I think it's similar I didn't see the answer there I only saw this one but he talks about uh, I can find it give me a second the question there was a person um, needed to get a uh, colostomy and he doesn't want to do it because he says his wife um, well after this happens the wife want to divorce him so what so meaning he'd rather meaning he says he doesn't want is it, it a permanent colostomy or a temporary colostomy let me see one second I have to it find makes a big difference it's a similar type question. Does he have a right to refuse the treatment because it will totally... Yes. The question here is... I'll read you this question. Interesting question. A patient who's concerned that if he has the surgery, he'll become disgusting to his wife. Why now, is he having the surgery? Okay, so I'll read it to you. I didn't, I didn't read this one completely yet. This is not an unusual situation. Yeah, yeah that's, oh. that's what I'm asking because if it's temporary... It makes a big difference. Divorce him temporarily. Divorce him temporarily. Right. He says, Haba, This question, this issue, this uh, case that came to us um, was brought to me by students, medical students, and their 
doctors in one of the big hospitals in Israel. He doesn't mention the hospital this past year. Um, so he says we don't. I don't have all the facts of the case. Um, one second, but uh, but I have enough to present you the case. Just one second. The case is like this. He says Ravak ben. There's two cases. One is Ravak ben 35. Uh, a single person, actually 35 years old, Ushpazim Satan Meyagas, he has cancer of the stomach. Harofim Mamlitzim Albitsua Colostomy, they want to put in, they're suggesting to put in a, a colostomy. Haprogenosa, a prognosis, I guess, the type of prognosis, Metzianet, is, is good. Meaning, if they do that, the prognosis for his cancer is good. He doesn't want to agree, the patient doesn't want to agree to the surgery. That uh, he wants his autonomy. That he won't be able to find a, a, a get married after that. He said stomach, you don't mean stomach. Or abdomen. He says, I don't know. May I, which I translate as tahagas, the large intestine, I believe. Okay, that's, um, okay that's sorry. Yeah, For a layperson, it's all the same, the stomach. So large intestine, that makes sense? Yeah. Okay, sorry. Sorry for not being more specific. Um, so anyway, so he says, so he, the colostomy will, according to the doctor, solve the problem. But he says, I'm not going to be able to date afterwards. Or, alternatively, I don't know if there's two cases, or you just formulating case. Shachol Nasui is married. By having the surgery, Yemas Alishto. She's going to want a divorce. That he's disgusting to me. There's a, that's a classical halachic term that adds grounds for divorce. Meaning if a husband or I mean either one develops something which in normal circumstances can discuss, discuss the spouse, that's grounds for divorce in halacha. He says, he says, listen, if I do this class to me, that she, he thinks she's going to divorce him. She's going to request a divorce. Um, and the patient clearly understands what the outcome of this cancer that's not treated in this way, what the results and the consequences can be. He's ready to prepare to accept them. The consequences to live out the rest of his life with married to his wife. So the question that was posed was, is it permitted, according to the Torah, to, to sort of, so to speak, force the patient to to go through the surgery? So those are two questions. Anyone have any? But doesn't he have an obligation to take care of his body? So that's the question. How so far does it go? That's exactly <coughs> the case. That's why I, brought, the I started one, with the first one. With the colon. <coughs> I mean that's different from the second one with the with the patient with the head. Yeah, what's the difference? Head and neck cancer. Yeah, if what's the difference? Cancer. What's the difference? Well, because it's the uh, extent a colon to do a colostomy. It, yes, it's it's you know it's not the nice it's not the greatest thing to be walking. That good for your for your love life. Well, it may it may not be. Then then then, then, then that person then the person he's married to that's where the problem is. It's not him. It's, yeah, but but again, he's he's the one who's making but the choice. That's he's in charge. But in that case, I can see doing everything you can to, to encourage and and do it. But the head and neck, that is a very different type of surgery. I I don't know if it, with the, what you described there 
that is not a simple surgery. The other is relatively common. Mm. No, but the key thing is it is curative. According to the way it's set up, it's curative. Right, but it's saying, but since the surgery is complicated, maybe no, I, that I understand, includes the risk factor. Which, I understand you know, that. Just, just if like... It's, if it's cancer. I mean, the first one was 1978, cancer, yeah. the second one was 1992 or 82? Just like... 92. 1892. No, no, no. no. Nine, nine, first eight. one was 1978, and the second one was 1992. Okay. I mean, they were doing these procedures to take away off faces. Mm -hmm. of so the second one was the colostomy. No, 1992 no, no, no. was the last one. The no, first. I mean, they were doing the 78 surgery. was the first. Yeah. Commando procedures. Yeah. The, uh, the both this and also giving people morphine for pain. They both have huge subjective components because not everyone would conclude that I could li I can't live without my jaw and one eye. Not everyone would conclude I'll be disgusting to my wife or I won't be able to date. They're very subjective, and that's the issue in both of them. I would think the physician is obligated in both cases. To encourage the patient to save their life. Yeah, but that. But the question is, you're right. They're subjective. But the question they, they, is, they assuming the facts are correct. Let's say his wife will divorce. We know for sure. She said, "I'm going to divorce if you go through this, this procedure." Right. Is, is that sufficient ground? As Alan's saying, the question is, we have an obligation to take care of our bodies. How far does that go? Does that mean I have to even take care of my body at, the, at where it might cause divorce or where it might cause me to be deformed to live this lower quality of life? How far? Do we take that obligation? For example, as we're going to discuss, we know when there's risk involved, you're not obligated to, to have the surgery, meaning any time there's sufficient life. risk to your life. Yes. That's not a risk so to you your see life. That what I'm pointing out is you see that the, this obligation that we brought from the Talmud, which is take care of your body, is not applicable. There are, there's wiggle room when it comes to certain scenarios. So the question is, how, where, when is there wiggle room and how do we apply that? Well, when it comes to risk to your life, you're not obligated, we'll see soon. Everyone agrees, more or less, when any time there's a, even if you're going to die, you have a terminal illness, but the treatment might risk your short-term life. So all posts can agree today, at least contemporary um, times, that you're not obligated to have that surgery or that treatment if there's risk. You can, it's, it's your prerogative, it's your choice. You can choose to have the surgery, you can that treatment or not, um, when there's risk to your life in the treatment. Right, that's always well, there's you. risk to your life always when you but have here, surgery. But here, no, here he's, that's why he's pointing out. There's no risk. You're saying well, there is. There is risk. Yeah. No, I'm saying every surgery has a certain risk. But we're talking about it's not a serious risk in the sense There's of, risk to your quality of life for sure. Oh, that's, and, that's different. And it's probably to your life as well, but it's a very small risk. Yes. The point being, as a physician, I think, and maybe even as a rabbi, you'd be obligated to tell him you are obligated to save your life. Now, at the end of the day, since you're not going to tie him down and subject him to surgery, the ultimate decision is left up to the patient. But I would think you're obligated to let him know in no uncertain terms that you are obligated. Yeah, but he's going to talk about the... Because the subjective aspects of the case that you're either disgusting to your wife, you won't be able to find a spouse, or you're funny looking, that's all true. There's no denying that. However, you might, with the passage of time, those things might improve and you might not view yourself as so disgusting. The comparable thing is when people are disabled, they think the quality of their life is terrible and they'd rather die. But when you talk to disabled people who survive whatever accident they have that disables them, years down the line, they say, no, I'm glad I didn't kill myself. I'm glad I, didn't, I'm glad I submitted to the treatment because even though my quality of my life is less than it was, it's still... Right, so you're dealing, you're dealing with the psychological component, which, right, which people, you're right, initially they don't have self-esteem, meaning <coughs> people in those situations are, have psychological anxiety, right. which is really what he's having here. But the question is, do I have a right to make that decision? 
And say, I, yeah, say I don't yes. have to. You're saying so he does have a right to say. I say the patient, because at the end of the day, you cannot tie him down for something. Yeah, but we're talking about Yeah, I think the patient has to. The patient has to have limited autonomy, and in this case, it is fairly limited. But he has some yeah, autonomy. Yeah, but how how much should you listen to your rabbi? Well, that's your call. But I mean, he has that's where no, your autonomy. No, but the rabbi. The, the question no, really, and, and it's a it's, the point is also from the patient's perspective. We're dealing it here from the doctor's perspective. The question is, the patient, let's say, is halachically observant Jew. What is their obligation? They have this obligation of taking care of their health. How far do, does that obligation go? That's really the question on the table. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I, I wanted to make sure we, what question we were asking. So there's both. There's, there's true. There's, it's from both perspectives. He's going to point that out. There's the question of the doctor's perspective, from the physician's perspective. How much do I have to? Should I push this patient? And the question really is on both ends. You really first have to look at what's the obligation of the patient. Then, based on that, the doctor or the rabbi can decide how much to push. So, but the question on the table really first you need to figure out what's the patient's obligation as far as this verse that we discussed. Because this verse is on the patient, it's not on the doctor. The doctor doesn't have this obligation to... to um, this verse is not ab obligating the doctor to save, to save the person. This verse is obligating the patient to, s to take care of his own health. Right? Um, there is other is sources. This is one of those cases where the patient has limited autonomy. I think at the end of the day, the patient decides. You're saying decides. that. That's, that's, right. Right. that's, that's right. That's my that's view of it. Uh, you don't what get do the facial hair, Michelle. Huh? Well, you get the facial hair, you can't, you can't pass it. <laughs> yeah. The patient might say, you, the don't, has facial hair. you don't allow me to have a tattoo, because I can't yeah. defile my body. Yeah. That's what's so, so why are you telling me to have my entire face deformed? No, because putting a tattoo is not endangering your life. Yeah. This, this, by keeping, by not doing the surgery, you're endangering your life. That's clear. Tattoo is endangering your life also. Yeah. Yeah, but Depends which neighborhood you live in. <laughs> You're leaving me with a deformity. Yes, that's exactly the question. So does that negate my obligation to take care of my health? Does the, uh, does the fact that I will be left with deformity give me now, as, as Shelley's saying, a limited autonomy to make the choice not to take care of my body, where so does, to speak? Where does you can't deform your body come from? Is that from the hey, right to well, there, tattoos is a specific verse, but there are other verses. It, it, well, one of the key. This is one source in a certain sense. Yeah. Um, the, the the other source is it says uh, you can't pummel someone else, you can't damage someone else's body. The Torah says. So the the, the Gemara broadens that to say if you can't do it to someone else, surely you can't do it to yourself. Also, you can't even damage yourself. Castration. Just like you can't damage someone else, you can't damage yourself. That's that's the source, which is again sort of a. Castration too, would that be a stretch? Oh. Yeah, castration is specifically, no, but that's specific. It's that's another a different way of forming your body. Your body you know, yeah, like but I'm saying that's a specific thing with, you know, mess with the reproductive organs. I don't know if that's general, you know, it really. could be broad, that's uh -huh. reproductive organs. If you have 12 sons, it's enough. Yeah. And you're talking about 13. you can't do something, you've got to take care of your body. But there is more than just a physical body, because if you don't take care of your psychological body, or your normal ethical religious part of your body, then you aren't a human being anymore and you will do be an enraged anger. Oh, so you say the quality of life. That gets back to you. Know, very good point. So that if and different people are different. Yes. Some people a deformed part of their body will create him to be a monster. I hear you. And for those 
they should be allowed to not Right, so do that was, that's what Shelley was saying before, and, which is... But other people will make do with whatever the, the deformity is. Yeah, but we, is, that's the issue. We, don't, we can't know that before, ahead no, of the game. But, well, sometimes you can, because of what people talk about. You say about people change general. their minds. People yes. could come to terms with things that they couldn't come That's to terms with originally. So, so it's a, it's a good point, but we can't really judge. Them. No, there are people that you know. Mm. Okay, that I, you I'm know. I'm not sure I agree, but can handle. They think they can't. Handle. They can. They think no, they can. No, because in the past they haven't handled some extreme things. Right. Different I'll, people. I'll be, my wife used to vase a vase with the side of blood. She happened to be with her, and anything that medically would upset her. She happened to be with her father in the last moments of life, which she found very spiritual. She turned around, and now she's in the Hebra Kedisha. If you had told me my wife would be in the Hebra Kedisha, I'd say, no way. I mean, the woman can't even think about anything like that, and boom, she's in the Hebra Kedisha. So people change. change. They do change, but if you're talking about a cancer that's going to grow and kill you, you don't have months and years to change your mind. You have no, but saying it after the surgery. Your mind. And and and. I know you're right. This is exactly the question. Does there, the quality there, of life should that affect your decision? That's what you're saying. Should the quality of life 100 percent? It's not just Agreed. physical. The See, physical is the lesser of the this problem. Is you yourself can sort of make, help make the decision with whoever your, your physician is or whoever you're doing this with. But there's times, with, particularly with children, parents, they can do anything. Because I, I, that was, you know, at Anderson, that, you know, you can have a, they, you, they come here, you can have a hemipelectomy. Well, the, that can save the life. And, you know, many kids then go on and can do all kind of things. They learn how to adapt. And are able to do it, and the parent is the one, you know, the parents are the one that obviously made the decision, because that child, that's my child, I'm going to have them live, and, but I think sometimes with an adult, you know, particularly with, when you get to uh, things like cordomas in the psycho, I mean, where you have to come to a place that can only, there's only a couple of people in this country that can do it, and these kind of things, you know, sometimes, you know, the first, second, third time that you're having to remove things, it uh, it makes it makes really hard to say when do when do I mm -hmm. stop because oh that well it's an interesting point you, I would even throw it back at you I mean the opposite question is sometimes parents will make because they're concerned about the future of their child's quality of life they'll make decisions not to do the surgery no I, I, that's I, happened too I mean I've been involved in cases like that so the question is is that is that the parents' prerogative to do that do they have a right to say well you know I'd rather not you know I don't want my child growing up with such a poor quality of life, and therefore I'm not going to treat them. <laughs> that, that, that it would have to, that's so, so that's the question the we're dealing with. Right, well, that's the question we're dealing with. So it's a, it's, a, it's a tough question. The other question, the other issue, people are born with deformities. Yeah, and that, so have that no choice. There's no one making that choice. They have no choice. But, but just the fact that I mean, you're today, making the choice not to abort. Like Down syndrome, but, yeah. but the fact that people are born to deformities, in other words, God allows that to happen, or that just the fact that you're going to have a deformity after surgery is that's a that's another argument against refusing the surgery. I mean, it's not. Yeah, your quality of your life is not going to be what it was, but you're not dead. So I mean, 
But at the end of the day, I still think Whatever. the patient has to make that decision. That's where they have limited autonomy. That'd be mine. Okay, so let's see what the rabbi says. Survey says. Um, so Survey says. The rabbi yeah. says like this. He, so you see, it's a long, drawn out. I'm trying to go through it quickly. So he's, um, he says like this. He starts off bringing the first thing is, as, as we all mentioned, some I think you mentioned, which is that in general surgery in itself, even the most benign surgery so to speak is there is danger involved now has I believe over the years that has changed and it's much uh you have been listening to the mp3 project from the Jewish Ethics Institute for a complete selection of our lectures please visit our website at j-ethics.org Shalom Thank you.